Phil, we are back. Our first Ask a Negotiator podcast of 2021. How have you been? All well. Good to have made it to this year. No, exactly. And um, for people who perhaps aren't familiar with this series, basically what we look to do is get you, our listeners, to submit questions to to Phil here, who is a former hostage and crisis negotiator, with a view to getting him to you know, give his unique take on it, but also offer practical advice and solutions for any issues you're um, having. So moving on to this episode, I mean, the happy new year and perhaps the new year, new me window has, for me anyway, uh, firmly been closed. I'm not sure about you, Phil. Um, but with the Six Nations rugby back, um, you know, so are the pints, um, albeit on the couch. And as for the diet, well, people who have listened to this podcast know know of our love for sausage rolls. And I'm glad to say that the pre-podcast sausage roll ritual is still alive and well. So the no drinking and the healthy eating is out the window. Um, but on to the actual topic of this this um, podcast. The question, Phil, that I'd like for us to tackle today is, what is the one thing that people miss in negotiation every time? So I would sum it up as... Emotion trumps logic every time. And in fact, I'd go a little bit further. I would say most of the time, you don't need any logic at all. So I imagine this is something to do with the proclivity in negotiation for people to say, well, can we just leave emotion out of this? Let's not let emotions cloud our judgment. Uh, Yes, I mean... That is a phrase that crops up quite frequently, I find, in business negotiation. Why people are saying it, uh, um, I think maybe there could be a number of reasons. Um, Sometimes in many negotiations, you know, there are some really strong feelings attached to that process. Um, And what often happens is, as the negotiation goes along... Um, if those emotions are not allowed to be surfaced, they're not vented or even acknowledged, then what can happen is they have a habit of causing the negotiation to feel as if it's just going round and round in circles. And we're, and we're not getting past the what has happened to, so how we, do we now go forward? Mm-hmm. And so I think people might view emotion as an inhibitor, a frustration, frankly, a nuisance, and we're best off without it. Um, I could go the other way, though. I could say as an alternative perspective, um, you know, if you were someone who said that, let's leave emotion out of it, what would it make me think of you? What could it be revealing about you, Ben? Um, And it might make me think that actually you feel vulnerable because to allow emotion into the process in effect uh, what's happening and and I get I get the sense that it's because you feel you won't you're losing control and what that does to our brain this uh, this sort of worry about losing control our brain immediately links that to the risk of loss mm-hmm. which we've talked about Absolutely. in the past and for me what is underneath loss is fear and so when I hear people say look Let's just stick to the facts. They just want to conduct the whole process through good old cold logic and clear rationale. Uh, Underneath that 
is fear and vulnerability. Now, the only I have had this, a, a couple of people have pointed out to me uh, another way people might want to use this phrase, and, and it could be being used, this, oh, can't we just leave emotion out of it? It could be being used as a straightforward sort of put down. It's aimed at disrupting you, weakening you, attacking you. Um, would you go as far to say it's a bullying tactic? Yeah, I, and I, I, I would like link it to a, a bullying tactic. And the way I try to help people think of it is almost going back to my sort of the, the previous comments I just made, that if they're doing this, it's because underneath what's driving that behaviour is the fact that they're frightened. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're frightened they're going to lose control, which is what is prompting them in a very narrow tunnel vision way to attack you. Mm-hmm. And I would almost say to people, so take heart. This is this is about their own fear than anything that you've done wrong. It's their fear. But for whatever the reason, people seem to lock on to this phrase of can't we just leave emotion out of it? I would say if you do, then you are throwing away the most significant power you have because it is emotion that will get you to the deal and not logic. And is this is this base does this have some kind of basis in uh, behavioral psychology or, or neuroscience? Well, y- yes, I could say that. However, I'm going back to some very ancient neuroscience and and this I love this uh bit we're going to talk about because it it reminds me of two things Greece I love sailing there I'm hoping to do that this year but I I went to help the Greek hostage negotiation team um, when Greece was hosting the Olympic Games and out of interest as I was there I decided to step back about to the year 350 BC and in that time Uh, Greece was probably one of our world's earliest democracies. And and what that meant was that every citizen had an equal right to voice their position on the important issues of the day. And a trend was developing whereby certain people kept on being asked to speak on behalf of others. And the reason they were asked, because it was noticed that these people seemed to be always really successful in what was called the art of persuasion. And that phenomenon got certain thinkers to wonder, what is it that they're doing that is making them so successful? And this led me to uh, a great book by the Greek philosopher, you'll know him, Aristotle. I've heard of him, yeah. Aristotle wrote a book on the topic of why some people are so good at persuasion. And I don't know how good your Greek is, Ben, but he discovered three things that make someone really persuasive. And he called them ethos, pathos, and logos. Well, it's pretty interesting. I mean, to think that, you know, this thing that we're talking about today has its roots 2,500 years ago. So long ago. So not... You know, and we do quite rightly, we're learning all about neuroscience and how, you know, our brain works and the connectivity between emotion and everyone thinks this is new. It's not. Yeah. Um, and I'm really interested in what you've got to say on about it because you talk about persuasion and I've, I've just started Robert Cialdini's book, Persuasion. Mm. Yeah. So this topic is very much mm. at the front of my mind. 
So, and, and that's why I like doing, I love new research. But what I also know is, frankly, we've been around a long time and we live in a very cluttered world at the moment. And the past was perhaps not so cluttered and they thought a lot. And what I've realized is they got to the heart of what we do well. And Aristotle did that well with these three words. And the real proof of the pudding is, is when I look at what he discovered, and as I came to appreciate it, it's timeless. And it's all around us today, because what he came up with is the basis for all our advertising today. In particular, everything you see on TV by way of an advert, every advert in a in a magazine or a newspaper has got what he talked about. And I call it the trilogy of persuasive negotiation. So I borrowed, I borrowed the learning from Aristotle. I've come up with my own expression. I don't know whether you should copyright it. Well, I think absolutely, Phil. This is a great opportunity for you to diversify. And when we talk about advertising, it is, it's salesmanship in print or in some other kind of medium. Mm. So, and salesmanship is all about influence and persuasion. Mm. So intrigued, very intrigued to find out so what is, I mean, you mentioned it, ethos, pathos, and logos. Okay, so so when Aristotle talks about ethos, he is talking about the speaker, and more specifically, the projection of their character. Now, probably in our modern world, the best way of understanding this is that ethos is the brand and the reputation that the speaker has built up about themselves. It, you know, it could be a well-known person, someone we know. It could be, you know, actor, movie person, sporting person, uh, very well-regarded business person. Doesn't matter. However, even if you're you're not known in in that right, ethos can be created by the judgments we make about people based on facts like their age, their gender, the way they dress, speak, tone, and a host of other things that really could be summed up as, I think, it their look, uh, the feel we have about them. And people's brands create feelings within us which makes us like them, which makes us trust them and be persuaded by them. And ethos is an emotional connection. Okay. So ethos is about the person, the mm. brand, the connection mm. surrounding them. The other one, well, the second one was, was pathos. So what's that all about? Emotional arousal. <laughs> now, now, it's a shame this is on audio because yeah. if you'd looked at Ben's face, <laughs> he is giggling now, but... Often when I, I use those words to a sort of face to audience, you can just see the delight on people's face and, and dare I say, an element of naughtiness <laughs> yeah. about what the words emotional arousal conjures up. Mm-hmm. But that is exactly what Aristotle was referring to when he talks about pathos. Pathos is the awakening of the emotions of the audience now, if, if I think um, of people in history whose speeches I would love to have heard firsthand um, and could 
you know, I'd love to have heard them firsthand because they they stir me. They do something, or or it could be, you know, that person who made that hilarious speech at a wedding, or the heart wrenching eulogy at a funeral, or the humility and common sense of the words that we all heard from Captain Sir Tom Moore. Any of these, we might want to hear more from, but why does it draw us in? Why is it so uniting and persuasive? Now, experts will look at all of this and they will, they will talk about the words, the tone, the flow, the pause, the look. But most ability, or most importantly, it's, it's something about the ability to connect with the audience and to induce feelings and emotion. And what I like to describe it as this is the mortar that holds the bricks of logic together. Mm. And the more powerful the emotion, the greater the strength of the mortar, the greater the connection. Now, remember, I've used this word connection when I was talking about ethos. So if you've got ethos and pathos together, the speaker and the way they connect and arouse the emotions in the order, you've got two connections, two powers based on emotion that is is playing a really big part in this trilogy. Well, you, you mentioned the trilogy and you just talked about um, pathos and emotion being thing that the, the mortar that holds the bricks of logic together. Mm-hmm. So would I be right in thinking that Logos is the logical part of this yeah. puzzle? Spot on. Your Greek <laughs> does you well. It is. Logos is the logic of your argument, the undisputed, the facts, the rationale. And why this is so appealing is for, is for many, this represents safe ground. Thank God we're here and we've got none of that emotion nonsense to upset and clutter things. <laughs> How wrong you are, I would say. Logic alone by itself. Frankly, it's pretty boring. It's cold. And let's face it, how quickly does our attention waver if we've got nothing else but cold logic to listen to or to read, just streams of it? Mm -hmm. Um, And this is why, as I said earlier, if I were being really bold, (laughs) you can completely disregard logic and successfully do the entire negotiation based on emotion because logic does not necessarily create a connection and I'm going to prove it to you. Now this is the bit that this is where Ben might get a bit worried (laughs) because what I've done I've picked I've gone to those magazines Mm -hmm. uh, and I picked out an advert and um, now I appreciate that listeners can't see but what I'm hoping Ben is in a minute I'm going to show this to you and I, uh, and you've not seen it. And what I want to do is to try and use this advert to highlight the persuasive powers of ethos, power and logos. So I'm now turning over the advert and I'm just going to place it in front of Ben and okay. have a little look. Now, he's having a look at it and I can just see from his face... His, his, his smile has widened and he is gazing. And what he did, actually, I suppose the experts say, he scanned it from top to bottom and then he's come back in and then his eyes are looking at it. But what I want you to ask, Ben, you've heard me talk about the, mm-hmm. the trilogy of persuasion. I'm going to ask, Ben, is 
So if ethos is about the people in it, who, what is the ethos in here? Where is it? And, and who are they, just for the benefits yeah. of our listeners? So, so hopefully what we'll be able to do is put this advert in the, the podcast description so the listeners uh, can, can see it as well. But it's an, it's an advert for um, what's well, called Intimately Beckham, um, and it's an advert for, for David Beckham or Victoria Beckham's line of um, perfume or aftershave. And in it, um, David Beckham is sort of grasping Victoria in quite a sort of powerful and seductive way and and to your question phil the ethos i suppose a big part of the sort of pool of persuasion of this is linked to these two people right you've got a okay let's pause there so you're quite right the ethos in the advert is the people so in this instance they're known celebrities now the audience some people might this could be you know love hate or be neutral about them but they've been chosen because they do have a reputation. It could be because of sporting prowess, prowess for David Beckham, for Victoria. It could be for the what she and the Spice Girls achieved. Yeah. It could be about um, their family. It could be about her sort of clothing business. It, it, it could be that they are recognised as young people that came from everyday backgrounds and have been incredibly successful. Whatever the connection with the audience, it's different. But it is about, if I were to to put it together, it's about success. Mm -hmm. Remember, it's not about loss. It's about success. And as you rightly say, so that is the the speaker or the the, the ethos is them and what it... And the connection, the feelings it engenders, which will be different in the audience. So pathos, have a go at pathos, the emotional arousal. What is what in this advert is being used to stir the audience's emotion? Well, I think well, hopefully as listeners will see it. It's quite a sort of racy, intimate ad um, of, a, of a couple in a sort of embrace. So and there's definitely a lot of sort of intimacy there. And the sort of, yeah, the arousal that comes with that, I think. So just pause there. I'm going to, and you're absolutely right. So this picture, it, there's a lot use in here. So for starters, the, the embrace is, yes, they're holding each other in a, what I will call a seductive, sultry way. And the expressions on their face is about mystery and passion. Yeah. That's what it looks like. When you look at what they're wearing, it's very simple. It's a black, simple dress. And we assume that David is wearing a black, simple jacket. Yeah. So actually, it's smartware, casual smartware, black. All of the background is black. It looks like a night scene, possibly with a bit of a little, maybe a light in the background yeah. from a sort of uh, maybe the moon or maybe a street light. It's classy, I think, it, as well. Love it. See, it's classy, seductive, intimate, passionate, dark, bit of mystery, what's going on here. It's the embrace, there's action in it. And the eye contact from David. Yeah. So you're warming (laughs) to it, aren't you? I am, yeah. Despite not being an England football fan, absolutely. Okay, now look at what words are used in this. So so actually, actually, I'm going to pause here. So the pathos is the whole look and feel is about arousing emotions in us of uh, 
Actually, I'll pause here and go, so what's the logos in the advert? I don't really know. It doesn't doesn't seem to be... I mean, would the logic be that wear this or use this perfume and you can have the same kind of experience with that? Can I just... Can I just say, does it does it say that anywhere? No, no. Uh, well, what I'm going to be bold and say, there is no logic, logos. Yeah. There is no logic in this whatsoever. Even if you look at the only words, is as you said, the perfume bottles are pictured equally. They are dark and sultry in a sort of indigo, violet, yeah, violet, yeah. dark look. Um, there's his and hers placed either side. Even the name of it is called intimately. That word is chosen because it is it reeks pathos, emotional arousal. Beckham is pointing in, is pointing at the ethos, and the word night is it's all about that sultry, mystery, passionate darkness. There is no logos in this advert. And why it is so successful, if you think about it, is the company that makes this and makes any other advert. So this, we could apply this to any advert. People are spending, to make this advert, they must have spent, let me guess, hundreds and thousands of pounds on this advert. No company's going to do that unless they know that by making this advert, they're going to recoup that money and a lot more. Yeah. This is the power of ethos and pathos, which goes back to what I said. You need sod all logic in (laughs) negotiation, if I want to be bold, and you can do it all based on emotion. So now bringing this back to directly to the world of negotiation, where are the lessons for our negotiators out there when it comes to these three factors? Okay, so this is... This is what I want to share is this thing, this ancient Euro sort of science that, you know, 350 BC, people were aware of then, is still with us and all around us today. And it's really relevant. So the lessons for negotiator is if you think of ethos as a negotiator, our power lies in our reputation, our brand and who we are and what you need to do is to work on getting that right. And there are many things you can do as part of your preparation and how you open the negotiation to to set and establish your brand and be consistent with it. Pathos is thinking about how do you connect with your audience. And again, that will partly come from your preparation. And I think I've said in other podcasts, so for example, hostage negotiators, we rehearse before... If we're going to have a really serious, difficult conversation about an important negotiation, then if it were you and me as hostage negotiators, we'd rehearse what we're going to say and we'd practice so that we can present ourselves and deliver with as much persuasive impact as possible. And it, and also that what goes with that are a real good understanding and ability with skills like active listening how to work with emotion and the art of influencing things like you mentioned earlier Cialdini's influence and and lots of stuff of others and then there comes logos now Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) 
I may have shown just how often you can completely leave it out. There is a but. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the but is, is if for no other reason I, I bow my head to Aristotle and, and give him huge respect is because he didn't leave it out either. And it is part, it, logos, having the facts, having a rational is important, but it doesn't work alone. It works in partnership with the other two. And so this is where I would say is, remember what I'm calling it, it is the trilogy of persuasive negotiation. And therefore, as negotiators, you should be looking to combine all three, because that is what's going to give you the edge. And good negotiators recognize that logos gets its energy from ethos and pathos. Emotion empowers logic and rationale. So there you have it then, the trilogy of persuasive negotiation. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Phil. Entertaining and insightful as always. <laughs>